Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Christian Lewis, and I'm here today with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It's a Brother, Brother podcast. This is a brother schooling episode where I teach Jeremy about a band he missed along the way. Today we're talking Sleater Kenny. You can learn more about the pod at thebrotherpod.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at thebrotherpod. And it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now let's talk about Sleater Kenny. Today's Brother Podcast is with uh, just Christian and I, and uh, we're going to do one of our sort of educational pods, otherwise known as a WTF or What the Fuck pod. And today's pod is going to be on the all-powerhouse trio, Sleater Kinney, a band that is Christian's, we'll say, one of his all-time faves, if not one of his, if not his favorite band, certainly his favorite all-female band, and a band that I missed in my prime and in their prime. Luckily for me... Christian's passion for Sleater Kinney has worn off, and it's one of those bands that we talk about a lot in the pod where we trade kind of musical interests. So Wyndham and I have had the privilege of turning Christian onto bands, and, and now it's his turn. Rarely, though, do we have a band that Christian uh, floats up that we were actually in real time for. So um, I was lucky enough in the past few months to, to dig into this catalog and, and see what I missed. And uh, what we'll do today is we'll kind of go over a few questions that uh, I have for Christian, because as much as I've, I've gotten to fall in love with the catalog, I am no expert, and, and Christian is a self-proclaimed Sleater Kinney fanboy. And then uh, this is also around the uh, 20th anniversary of the fantastic album Dig Me Out. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll ask a few questions, and then we'll talk about a, uh, a Sleater Kinney starter kit for those few, like myself, who missed the boat on Sleater Kinney. So let's see. Sleater Kinney. I was there... Just joking. Christian and I have the privilege of seeing LCD tonight, so uh, we've been talking a lot about the uh, the song "Losing My Edge," which I obviously lost as early in my twenties. But somehow I ended up ignoring this band throughout my uh, my youth. And uh, you know, Christian, you're a younger guy, let's say, young buck. How the fuck did you get into these guys uh, so early? Well, thank you for asking. Um, well, you know, my first foray into Sleater Kinney was uh, was pretty young. Um, it was in 2003 when I guess I was a freshman in high school or maybe the summer before that. Um, and, uh, you know, at that point I basically had three channels for new music. I had Wyndham, obviously, who sent me some of these care packages, uh, a lot of sort of, you know, 80s, 90s heavy um, rock that, that you guys were listening to um, when you were in your youthful prime just like I am now. <laughs> Um, but, uh, aside from that, you know, I basically had a, a, one or two buddies who I definitely turned to, um, but I won't say their names because I don't want them to have the satisfaction of knowing that they were people who turned me onto music. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I guess the third one was really this, this awesome record store, Revolution Records in, in Washington, D.C. Um, and I became pretty, you know, tight that summer, I guess. Uh, I spent a lot of time there. Um, they had listening rooms and sort of let you get into, um, you know, whatever you wanted to, to listen to and try it out before you actually uh, bought it. And so the, you know, one of the owners and, and managers of that place, um, uh, Nyan actually, um, you know, basically sent me into a listening room with, uh, with three albums, Dig Me Out, all hands on the bad one and uh, one beat, um, and I guess I started 
with One Beat, which was their latest record at the time. Um, you know, it had just come out the year before, pretty much in, in 2002. Um, and, you know, this, it's funny. I can say with absolute 100% honesty that it took me seven seconds to love this band. Um, and, you know, it's, it's actually, it's in the song One Beat, the opening of which, uh, it was the album, album opener. Um, and in that, you know, Janet Weiss sort of starts with this, like, sort of military tom-tom heavy beat and then hits this fucked up inversion of that beat at the seven second mark. Um, and I honestly, I don't know what it is, but like my head still spins when she sort of flips, flips that, uh, that, that drum piece over. Um, and then 10 seconds later at, at 17 seconds into this, into this album, uh, Corin Tucker opens up the pipes and just shreds the mic. Um, and I think that's what I would say is that that was the moment when I, I knew I was in love with the band, not, not just, I didn't just love the band. Um, you know, and, and to her voice, like, Honestly, I, I forget who said it or, or where I heard this, but, but, you know, one of my favorite lines about her was like, well, Jesus Christ, it's not like you can be a bank teller if you have that voice. You pretty much have to be a rock star, right? Yeah, no, I mean, so it's funny that you say that and that you kind of learned about them via record store because it was a time when I, too, was going to record store, seeing a lot of shows, and this was a band that was often name-checked. I often saw on concert posters, certainly saw their records in record stores, but you could also sort of ignore music at that time, too. Um, you know, looking back, like this was a band that, that critics love for good reason because they're, they're fantastic. And, and I will admit again, I learned that late. But, um, you know, it's a band that's often cited as probably the, one of the most important bands of the second half of the 90s, if not the most important, you know, I, I read a quote recently, important punk bands. Now, going back and listening to them at 40, <laughs> as opposed to my, my prime age of uh, early 20s when this stuff was actually happening, you know, I, I hear something way bigger than punk. And, uh, you know, I mean, for you, like, do you consider these guys sort of a punk band or do you consider them something larger than that scene? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say up front, like, I, I definitely think that there's something bigger going on here. Um, and, you know, there's no question. Their origin was Riot Girl, right? Um, Corin Tucker was, was the singer and a guitarist in Heavens to Betsy and Carrie Brownstein in uh, Excuse 17. Um, and, you know, the, the DNA of that movement is just all over the 95 self-titled album, uh, their, their debut. Um, but, you know, Sleater Kinney's roots sort of may have been in Riot Girl in the Pacific Northwest, but, but I think, you know, sonically, the band ultimately had less in common with Bikini Kill um, and Bratmobile um, and, you know, or like the grungier sort of L7 stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, that, that started to get teased out on their second album, Call the Doctor, in 1996, um, when these guys, you know, I, for me, that's the album that I think, this is just like, holy shit, this is a great punk record. I mean, we're still, we're still in the full throes of, of Sleater Kinney is, a, is an awesome punk band, but, like, that's when they're, you know, that's when the sort of complexity starts to, starts to come out a little bit. Um, and that was probably, their, I mean, that's when they really started to pick up on critical acclaim. But, you know, I, again, to whether there's something bigger than punk here, I think it's dig me out that, that the sort of soaring ambition of, of, uh, of this band really starts to take over. Um, and the first hints of that um, are, are literally on the album cover itself. So, I, I, okay, so first of all, the album cover is like this reimagination or, or reimagining of, of the kinks, kink controversy. Um, and, uh, and the second reference, um, you know, uh, for, for those who don't immediately look at the wall art on the uh, album art um, in, in question uh, is the fact that there's an LP sleeve of Black Sabbath 4 um, on the wall. And I think that, you know, 
this is really trying to plant the flag in sort of a bigger, a, a bigger, I don't know, canon or, ma- you know, mountain of, of rock and roll. Um, or maybe the better metaphor here is to say that they were, uh, you know, javelining rock and roll in the chest. Um, but, you know, th- the bottom line is that they come from this sort of, like, roots of, of lo-fi DIY punk rock. Um, but, you know, I think they were really setting out to achieve something with size and volume in their music that, you know, they, they have these huge pop sounds and hooks. They've got these big metal sounds sometimes, uh, both in the style of drumming and in, in the guitars. In other words, they're really creating something totally new. And, and you know, I've got to say that kind of like Stooges and Nirvana and a handful of other bands, they didn't sound like anything that came before them or anything since. When I just have a quick question. I mean, not knowing the band sort of in real time and, and not knowing their biography terribly well other than, you know, reading articles, hearing interviews, things of that nature. I mean, there was kind of a, a shift in the band with Dig Me Out, too. Was that when Weiss joined or did exactly. she join prior? Okay. Yeah, so so Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker have been constants in the band, but um, the, the big change that took place right before Dig Me Out um, was, uh, was, yeah, that Janet Weiss joined the band, and she, you know, brought an entirely new, uh, I think, sort of format for, like, the rhythm section here, you know. And, and the cool thing, um, which you know, we can get into this when we talk a little bit more about the songs, um, you know, down the road here, but but one of the cool things about her style of drumming was that, you know, rather than this sort of, like, you know, four-on-the-floor, like, steady, rhythmic drumming beat, she had this, you know, incredibly sort of pointed, like, ability, you know, to, to strike um, and really punctuate an accent, I think, the lyrical delivery um, and, and a lot of the coolest sort of parts of the guitar hook. So, I mean, I think, you know, that to me, it's it's basically three people, like, individually spinning out these these sorts of, uh, uh, you know, point-counterpoint counterpoint, um, instrumental sounds, which is totally cool. Um, you know, and then I think to add to, like, all of the innovation that we're talking about here, you know, Let's not forget that, like, they they did one of the things that we've often talked about being incredibly difficult, which is that they've achieved a Grand Slam, and actually I think they surpassed it. Um, a Grand Slam, you know, being the, the term that we've borrowed from uh, from friends over at Sound Opinions, but basically, you know, not just four truly great albums, but four consecutive truly great albums. Very hard to do. Yeah, and I'm going to go out here on a limb and just say they did five. Um, and, you know... That run is starting with Call the Doctor, um, which actually is pre-Weiss, uh, then Dig Me Out, which is, uh, which is the first record that Weiss is on, then The Hot Rock, then All Hands on the Bad One, and then One Beat. And I would just like to take a brief pause there to say these people know how to name albums because those are some of the fucking coolest <laughs> album names I've ever heard. Um, but, you know, bottom line again, like, in the long run, these guys, I think they're, I think they're contenders for, for one of the truly great rock bands of the last 30 years. And, and to sort of uh, consign them to, like, I don't know what the hell you would call them, like, post-Riot Girl or punk or whatever, is, one, to focus too much on the fact that they're women when, you know, I think that does, does them a little bit of a disservice. They're fucking rock stars. Um, and, frankly, you know, I th- I, for me, they're, they're one of the greatest rock bands ever. All right, well, let's take a quick break, hear some Sleater Kenny, and then we'll be back with some more questions.
Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother Pod, where today we're talking all about Sleater Kinney, mostly in honor of Dig Me Out's 20th anniversary. Yeah, so, I mean, hearing Christian's obvious passion, which I've heard for the better part of a few years now, I think we need to rename this pod. So, originally this was a What the Fuck is Sleater Kinney, which is make, doesn't make a lot of sense that everybody knows who the fuck Sleater Kinney is, to uh, Why the Fuck, Jeremy, Weren't You Into Sleater Kinney <laughs> in Their Prime? Yeah, I think that's a much better title for, <laughs> for what I think I'm going to spend the better part of this pod defending my coolness by saying, hey, man, this was going on, or whatever. But one of the reasons that I, I sort of... Um, I don't know, I guess avoided this band was I liked Riot Girl, but I also was sort of in an age where, um, you know, I was kind of in my early 20s. I was getting turned on to different music. So I was listening to a lot of different, uh, you know, from Bob Dylan to Pavement to Guided by Voices to different hip hop and, and punk rock in general, just that I'd kind of grown up from a little bit at the ripe age of, you know, 21 or whatever. But, um, you know, I kind of grouped these guys in initially, and what I heard initially was that, you know, whale of Corian Tucker, which I've come to really appreciate, but I, what I didn't hear, and what I, I think I've heard kind of going back, and, and you know, for me, albums like One Beat and, and Dig Me Out are, are kind of the, the gems that sort of got me to appreciate this band, is, is probably not as much as you do, but, you know, have got me on the right track, at least, to really appreciate this band. There's a huge depth to both lyrics and just the power of the interplay of guitars and other things, so... I know, you know, one of your biggest cases for Sleater Kinney to, to Wyndham and I, who admittedly both, you know, um, missed the boat here, really is the sound in, in the songwriting. So um, give me give me some background on, on, on both those. Yeah, I mean, wow, where to where to begin? Um, but but thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, Sleater Kinney, I think fundamentally is, is music for people who love guitars and rock voices. Um, but you know, the, the really cool thing about them is that their music doesn't work without this sort of like this insanely difficult to, to understand, even, I mean, even for somebody who loves them as much as I do, this, this sort of chemistry and this X factor that sort of pulls it all together. And I think, you know, maybe the, the best way to sort of illustrate this, um, is sort of to focus in on like just one of their tunes and one of my all time favorites, um, which is one more hour, uh, which the, the second tune on, um, on dig me out. And, you know, in my mind, uh, and for my money, this is, this is the example of the absolute perfect Sleater Kinney song. Um, so, you know, it kicks off and they have this sort of intensely angular, complex, sort of double helix of guitars that are winding through the middle of this song, right? Like right off the bat, you have, you know, Brownstein and Tucker. I mean, it's a conversation in its own right. Um, and, uh, you know, at, at the same time, it's it's not necessarily an easy one, right? I mean, I, I think it's sort of the, the image that comes to mind is sort of, of like, uh, of you know, of two sort of dogs rolling around fighting with one another, rolling down a hill or something. I mean, it's just like it's it, you don't really, you know, it's punching. You just sort of see limbs flying and, and that kind of thing. Um, but it's not necessarily, uh, you know, it's it, it sort of it fits in its place. It finds its groove within the song. Um, you know, I think on top of that, you've got Weiss who sort of propels the whole thing forward. But and, you know, I think with what we talked about earlier, it's not that sort of traditional rhythmic drumming. It's like, you know, these drum shots sort of pop and, and punctuate the, the different guitar pieces that you really want to accentuate. Um, and, and it just adds a ton to the music. And then, you know, we haven't even gotten to the voices yet. Corin Tucker howls with like this just, I mean, 
earth shattering. I, you yeah, know, pardon the cliche, a, but like demonic holy shit. Robert Plant. Uh, you know. Yeah, it's not. It look. It's a voice that makes you stop yeah. and pay attention. Like it's not. It's not music you can play at a restaurant while people are eating dinner. You know, it's like it just it commands. It's a turnoff for a lot of people, admittedly. I yeah. mean, you know, and it, it was for me initially, but I think sort of uh, layered on top of the guitar interplay and then just when you hear kind of the power that it really does kind of hit you in the chest like you said earlier um, that voice becomes almost just I mean it's actually an instrument really no exactly I mean and and that's in in the same way that the the drums are sort of more of an instrument perhaps than they might be um, in another context or they're an instrument that serves a different purpose than they would be in a different context Um, but you know I think yeah Corn Tucker you're absolutely right like for some people, that's a hard thing to sort of to, to come to grips with. Um, I think that part of the, again, the reason that this this song is such a perfect example is because, you know, there's a sort of, there's, there is a, there is one constant or sort of monotone that sort of drive that helps sort of, uh, you know, uh, I think take the edge off some of the the um, harsher elements of of um, Corin Tucker's voice at certain points, and you know that's that Carrie Brownstein is there throwing these fucking daggers with these like staccato icy like lyrics at you, um, and right. Okay, let's talk about the lyrics for a second because I mean I think that this is the ultimate um, you know marriage of form and, and function, um, which which I love so much. Um, you know. This is a song that, that's famous for for capturing the breakup of, of Tucker and Brownstein. I mean, um, so they were a couple going right. into Dig Me Out, and then Dig Me Out was a breakup album. Is that correct? Basically, okay. um, and you know, so they just split. They were living together, and actually, I mean, a, a sort of funny a, a side note, or not, I guess, funny, but um, a side note to that story is that they actually, you know, weren't public um, and weren't out even with their parents uh, until a Spin Magazine story outed them, um, which is still a pretty... Sign of the times. Yeah, I think that was the last Spin Magazine interview they did for uh, for the next... <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it was, it was a little awkward. Uh, then again, in retrospect, it's one of those things that it sort of begs, well, how could you not have thought, you know? Um, but... Uh, but in any event, Carrie Brownstein ended the relationship and Corin Tucker is just is devastated and, and moving out. And that's sort of the subject of the song. And, you know, I, I think that what you have in like in the chorus, for example, is just I mean, the, the chorus, I think, for me, just sort of sums up the emotional depth so beautifully, which is that you have Corin Tucker, or Corin Tucker just wailing, you know, the line, I needed it, I needed it, I needed it. And after each one or, or simultaneous to each one, you have Carrie Brownstein underneath um, you know, th- at a much lower volume and just sort of punching, you know, it's sort of much more modestly and, and, and sort of quietly just saying, you know, I know it's hard for you to let it go. I know it's hard for you to say goodbye. And I know you need a little more time. And that, like, it just, it is, Some you are literally... Shit, right? <laughs> I, singing together and yeah. uh, touring together and, and, no, and, and I mean, recording it's just, together. It's, it's an entire breakup conversation. It's like Fleetwood Mac rumors without the cocaine. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the push pull intertwined guitars and the voices and the drums I mean it every like it, just everything about the style and and the musicianship mirrors the substance of the lyrics and that just I mean it fucking it rips me to pieces every I mean even like you know sitting here recounting the lyrics in that song I'm just like holy shit it's like watching we, or we listening do, to we a do breakup. have a box of tissues right next to us just in case anybody's right, concerned well, okay thank you thank you Jerry <laughs> um I'm, thanks for looking out uh but yeah no it's uh I mean it's just it's this sort of it's it's sick it's candid it's fucking raw. you know yeah it's raw it's just, it's just full of brute force too 
No, that's, that's a great, I mean, and that's kind of what I ended up hearing. So going back and, and hearing this band and I didn't, you know, not having the backstories that you know so well, because I didn't, I didn't, you know, follow this band as closely in real time. That interplay is amazing. And, you know, just for those few, you know, the three of us that don't know this band very well, my, myself in that three, you know, there's no bass player either. So the guitars are really, you know, the interplay between the guitar work with the powerful drumming is just a sound that... I like the fact that you said, you know, nobody really sounded like this. I mean, who was Sleater Kinney's contemporaries? Just to kind of keep going on the sound piece for a second here. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were, you were listening well, I mean, to them, apparently. So, I mean, but I mean, um, I guess, that's a horrible question, but I mean, I know the bands that were out there, but I mean, is there, there's nobody that they're ever really compared to, right? I mean, you, you kind of hear about them talked about all the time as this sort of punk band, Riot Girl. There's a lot of labels put on them. But there's nobody that sounds like that, right? I'm trying to think no. of like, I mean, there's loud, hard bands, but nobody that really had the intimacy and the sort of loudness and the, inter- I mean, it was interesting music it's, too. It's I mean, funny to me because I think they also, they, and you know, they sort of established their style, they established their, their sort of stylistic bearings um, and, you know, really found their groove in the mid nineties, right? Um, and, you know, then they've come up with three or four of their best albums I, I, you know, I think um, by about 2000, and then suddenly you have this sort of like massive, uh, you know, massive sort of rock revival um, movement that starts with bands like The Strokes, and and you know, but it's global, right? Like it's the it's everybody from The Strokes to The Hives to Libertines, yeah, exactly. And you have this amazing sort of like revivalist guitar rock. Um, sensation, and in a weird way, I think the, the sort of flashbang, like uh, you know, the way that that gripped the country and gripped the world um, through iTunes commercials or excuse me, iPod commercials or whatever else. It's like I think these guys just kept plugging away and doing their own thing, and you know, it, it's sort of the steadiness. Like they knew what they were doing. They had they had a sound, and they weren't afraid of it, um, and they stuck to their guns. And I, I think it was I think it's, it's great for it. Yeah, there was a fierce independence there, and they weren't like those bands you mentioned. I mean, obviously the depth, I think the depth of lyrics was far superior with these guys because they were singing about real things, where the other bands were more of a, I don't want to call them off as a look or a sound, but they were definitely were were uh, a no, little more surface, let's, let's say. Let's say, yeah, I mean, a good example here being being the Australian band Jet, uh, <laughs> Are You Gonna Be My Girl is, yeah, no, I think that's a look and a sound, but it certainly isn't a story. Definitely um, not. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's kind of uh, close out our adoration for Sleater Kinney and, and uh, in honor of Dig Me Out's 20th anniversary and, and you know, also just kind of um, in honor of the fact that this was a band that, that Christian was able to turn me on to and I think win to some degree in a band that I now, you know, go, go to pretty regularly. So we, we talk about in this pod constantly the sort of starter kit, right, for, for music geeks and... and uh, Christian and I both were lucky enough to have an older sibling who gave us the starter kit. We've mentioned it in previous pods, certainly in the origin story and in some of our early pods. And, um, you know, this is an example of, of the younger brother passing up a starter kit to the, uh, to the older brother here. So let's, let's hear what your starter kit for Sleater Kinney would be, Christian. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip people onto three albums here. Um, I'm going to start by saying... It, it is, it really does start with Dig Me Out. Um, and, uh, you know, I think um, the opening song, Dig Me Out, is uh, is amazing. One More Hour is, as I said, I think the perfect Sleater Kinney song that captures everything you need to know. Um, you know, it, Heart Factory, words and guitar, little babies, 
Buyer Candy, Dance Song 97. I, I think it's a perfect album, truly. Um, I don't think that there's a single miss on it. Um, so it's uh, it's definitely the the starting point and, and really, you know, the, the high water mark for, for their sound. Um, second for me, I think, is, uh, is One Beat, which came out, you know, five years um, later uh, and um, in 2002. And I think that that, you know, sonically almost achieves the same thing. Um, it, it also, you know, I think exposes some of their best political reflections um, in a way. I mean, so this was written very much looking at, you know, the, what the two, 9-11 and September 11th of 2001 um, in light of the fact that, that Corin Tucker had just had a, a child. Um, and she was sort of, uh, you know, this to me is, is I think, partly what, what makes their lyrics uh, and, and their substance so truly great is the fact that she's able to connect this sort of, um, you know, these pretty dark, uh, you know, ma- macro worldview feelings, um, I-, I guess, uh, to, you know, th- that are really sort of very universal and looking at, at the world as a whole, um, but connecting them to something that is deeply and intensely personal um, and, and something that, you know, really is about, about her, own, uh, her own family. Um, I'll throw in on one beat. It's an album that that was probably the first album for me that I connected with. And I, I really, you know, happy birthday to dig me out. And it's it's an amazing album. And, and you know, I, I think critically, probably the most acclaimed. Um, no argument there. But but as somebody kind of going to the band at a, at a later stage, not sort of being young and, and um I I thought One Beat was the one that immediately kind of had a little bit of pop appeal to me, yeah. a little bit of melody, you know. Definitely, and I mean, as as I said earlier, like that was my introduction. That was my first foray, and for a few years, I should say, um, uh, you know, I think I think One Beat was probably my favorite. Um, songs like Oh One Beat, um, you know, really do have like there's a there's a sort of you know driving um, sort of rock sensibility, pop sensibility that I think, you know, makes it a little bit more accessible than some of the, you know, herky-jerky angular stuff that I was describing earlier and and dig me out. Um, If, and, you know, the goal here is to get everybody on the planet to convert um, to uh, as big a fan of Sleater Kinney as I am, if you still sort of struggle with those two and think, you know, I don't know, there's like, there's too much... Uh, too much of that sort of helix of guitars that you were talking about, um, then, you know, here's where I say you, you really should try The Woods. And there are a couple of people I know for whom this is their this is their favorite album. This came out in 2005, I believe. I think, yeah, it was 2005. Um, was it their last album before the hiatus? Exactly. It was their last album before sort of breaking up. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think... Look, I'll be honest, this is not my favorite Sleater Kinney album. Um, I don't hold it against the band. I think, you know, all of their other stuff was produced basically by John Goodmanson, um, who I think sort of in a, um, and, you know, forgive me uh, if the if the engineering comparison here doesn't, doesn't stand up, but I mean, for me, I think what he does is like a lot of what Albini does, which is sort of, uh, you know, Steve Albini, of course, who produced... Uh, um, well, a ton of records, but was sort of a, a star of analog recording and, and somebody who really likes to let the music and the instruments speak for themselves. Goodmanson sort of did the same thing with Sleater Kenny, which is, um, you know, there is no bass, so you can make the guitars as loud as you fucking want to, which is awesome, I think. Um, but in addition to that, you know, it's really, it's let the voice and the guitars do do what they want to do and, and don't don't try and shroud any of it in, in any kind of other effects. With The Woods, though, um, David Fridman was the... 
uh, was the producer. And he, of course, was the longtime producer for Mercury Rev and, and Flaming Lips. And for, I mean, for my money, again, I think, look, he is sort of the Phil Spector of the last 25 years. I think their music gets a little bit sort of shaded or clouded by, you know, this sort of like cosmic fuzz swamp stuff that he does. And I don't know that it suits them perfectly because they have such, uh, such unique vocals that said you know it does sort of it takes the it takes the rough edges off uh, or the angles off some of their music that i think makes it easier for some people so listen to all of them yeah i'm a convert so um <laughs> well that was fun you know listen it's it's uh, rare that you get to kind of go back and revisit something that you've written off for no good reason and i'm glad i uh, glad i listened to you so let's take a, another break and we'll come back and, and talk about what we're listening to now and throw a couple of songs on our uh what are we calling this thing these days? Million song the, playlist. Uh, and- 1,000 <laughs> top 10 songs <laughs> of all time. Sounds good. So let's listen to Sleater Kinney, and then we'll, uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, and today we've been talking all about Sleater Kinney uh, in honor of Dig Me Out's 20th anniversary, and also in honor of the fact that I just really wanted to have an entire episode to talk about <laughs> Sleater Kinney, one of my all-time favorite bands. Um, but, you know, we are onto that, uh, onto that segment um, that we do every week, Jeremy, which is, uh, which is to talk about what we're listening to, and then we will throw a couple songs onto our playlist, uh, the top 10, or excuse me, the top 1,000, <laughs> Jesus, All right. math again, yeah, never I know, our, the 1,000 uh, top 10 songs of all time, um, so let's kick it off, Jeremy, what have you been listening to lately? So, um, it's not a listening to this week, it's a uh, watching, so I, I jumped into um, Netflix's 13 Reasons Why, which is an adaptation of the book, 13 Reasons Why, which was, I think, a young adult or teen novel about a, a young girl who decides to kill herself and sends out uh, cassette tapes for some reason, um, because cassette tapes are what all kids are listening to these days, about um, why, the to, to the sort of main people that are the reason she sort of commits suicide. So it's a, it's a mystery. Um, 
you know, look, I can poke holes in anything, but but I'm thoroughly enjoying this so far. I'm not finished. I'm about halfway through. Uh, my wife and I are, are enjoying it. We're suckers for teen, teen anything. We, we kind of grew up with The Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink and all of that good stuff. So when, when you're able to put together something that's fun and, and, and tackles teenage issues, um, it's, it's great. And so, um, I'm enjoying it, you know, maybe next week after I've finished it, my mood will change, but I would, uh, I would say jump in. Christian, what are you listening to? Well, um, I've got a couple of things. I would say, uh, I did wrap up, please kill me a couple of weeks ago when we were in the middle of our great American Finally. band bracket. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm a very slow reader. Exactly. Um, but no, it, it, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's everything everybody said it was. Um, and actually, uh, did get the chance to swing by and, and see, um, Legs McNeil reading from it because, uh, unbeknownst to me, nice. I was reading it at the 20th anniversary of its, uh, publication. Big so year. yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a big anniversary year. Um, I would say I would add to that though, uh, you know, if you're reading this, I I loved um, a, a documentary uh, that's I guess on Netflix right now called Danny Says, which is all about um, or Danny Says I don't know how to emphasize it, but you know it's it basically it's the story of Danny Fields who was sort of a um, a major operator, mover and shaker in that world. Uh, he was an A R for Elektra Records um, for for years. Uh, he seemed to be everybody's best friend um, throughout most of that time um and you know he is just it's even even as uh as an older gentleman now sitting in a chair in his apartment um in new york sort of recounting this stuff um he's a really engaging character and like you know he's just got this incredibly sort of like dismissive funny tone that i you know in which he describes this world where you're thinking holy shit you know it's like you know it's amazing to me that you're talking about iggy pop and debbie harry like this but you know you're just yeah they're just your friends um so you know that's a cool uh, that's a cool sort of combo of things to to read and watch. Um, stepping uh, a little bit forward in time, though, I would say um, you know I, I also want to just mention a Jay Som concert I saw recently, which was uh, with co-headliners the Courtneys, and um, you know I'd seen Jay Som I guess last summer, uh, and and actually had completely forgotten that that had happened, um, which should give you some indication of how much I enjoyed that show. Um, it was sort of a very hushed confessional uh solo show um and uh, subsequently um in in this concert which was a baby's all right uh you know she it's complete sea change in terms of confidence levels right so she you know i think part of that's probably the fact that she's got a band with really talented musicians around her um but it was a hell of a lot funkier than i expected it to be i mean they were really you know the drummer was sort of going into like double time on the hi-hat sort of anderson pack style um you know, you had some pretty big roaring guitar licks at, at uh, you know, in a, in a couple of couple of their tunes and, and, you know, medleys they did at the end that, you know, basically she went back and forth with her guitarist doing some of the best, like, rock and pop songs in the 90s and 2000s. Um, you know, so I, I think actually Jason was, was awesome on that tour. I would recommend anybody go out to see her if you get the chance. It's funny you say that because, sh- you know, showing my age here, is, uh, I also had tickets for Jason in Boston at uh, one of my favorite clubs, The Great Scott's. But it was raining outside, and I didn't go. Was it raining in the entire second <laughs> half of the 90s when you were listening to Sleater Kinney? Um, must have been. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, and one more note to aspiring rock stars out Next there. Next time. If I'll you really there. want to gin up a New York audience, um, be sure to tell them that the loudest stop on tour prior to this stop was uh, was in Chicago, um, and, and that'll get everybody fired up uh, nice. to the point that one guy in the back of the room goes, they have shitty pizza. <laughs> 
Um, anyway, so we have uh, we have two songs to add to the playlist. Uh, why don't I go first? Because I think we know what it might be. Yeah. In honor of Sleater Kinney Day, um, I'm gonna go with "One More Hour" by Sleater Kinney. Nice. Well, that's a great pick and uh, definitely fitting to the pod. I'm gonna go in a totally different direction, <laughs> of course. And um, you know, I noticed on our on our playlist we don't have any Prince yet, and uh, luckily for us, Prince is now on Spotify, so we can add him. And there's so many damn songs to choose from, but I'm going to choose from one of my favorite rock pop songs by Prince, and that's uh, Never Take the Place of Your Man off Sign of the Times. And uh, that's going to do it for today's pod. That was fun, Christian. We don't get to do uh, you and I very often, but um, Wyndham's on a tropical island uh, floating off with pina coladas and... uh, Talking to a volleyball painted with, yeah, smiley (laughs) face. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, no, this has been a ton of fun. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you next week. That's it for this episode of Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks to Simon Doom for our intro music, Hair of the God, and to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Tweet our mistakes and your recommendations and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Until next time, on behalf of Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you for listening.